0: We want to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Just have that open for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're doing a, a, a series on wisdom, actually, and this is sort of a sub series, if you like, within it. We can't cover wisdom without looking at the whole area of finances. And for the last couple of Messages actually, not a couple of weeks. We did two sermons last week. If you missed those, you can get the CDs or go on the website and follow up on them. You'll need to do that to keep pace with where we're going. So, we're going to continue. This is part three then of what the Bible says about prosperity wisdom for prospering. I want to just recap on some very important foundations. You won't be able to build anything in your life financially in terms of prosperity without very solid foundations. And key point number one that we've established in the last few weeks is poverty came into the world through sin. It's not God's will. It never was. Remember the Garden of Eden before sin came, before Adam and Eve uh, sinned, there was no sickness. Sickness came in because of sin, right? There was no bondage. Bondage to Satan came in because they fell. There was no poverty, Poverty is part of the fall. Therefore, it's something that God wants to take from us, just like bondage, just like sickness. It is not God's will for you. Key point number two. There is a huge imbalance in the church today with regards to the teaching on prosperity. By imbalance, I mean this. There's nowhere near enough. We don't, near e- we don't hear even a fraction of, of what we need to hear about money believe me you know in the Bible in your Bible right there there's around about 365 references to fear so God wants you to know about fear there's around 500 to prayer there's around 500 to faith but guess how many there are to finances 2,000 and that means listen to me it's important guys Do you know what that means? You should have heard four times as many messages on finance as you did on faith. But you haven't. Because many churches are afraid of it. They don't want to touch it. People get all uppity about it because they do not understand. And we need to put that right. And I promise that every every year, for three weeks, we will devote ourselves totally to studying finances. And then about every six weeks, we need to come back and refresh our faith in this area. So there's a great imbalance. And by imbalance, I mean we don't hear anywhere near enough about money. God's got a lot to say about it. Key point number three. As soon as you begin to prosper, Jesus promises you something. (laughs) Persecution. Christians who prosper get judged by Christians who don't understand prosperity, right? And I know because I came out of that camp. I hated prosperity when I got saved. I came from a Catholic background and to me, Christians should be poor because Jesus was poor. That was just how I thought and it took me time and studying, took me time alone with God. I seriously sought God and he changed my mind. It's called conversion, He changed my mind and I began to see that I must believe what the Bible teaches, not what my cultural background has been, my traditions have been. I've got to line everything up with God. Once you start to prosper, Mark's gospel, Jesus says, in this life, there will be added unto you, you know, when he goes through homes, lands, etc. You'll be greatly prospered. What's the next line? And you will receive persecutions. In other words, a warning to Christians who prosper. Oh, by the way, Jesus says, there'll be many in the church that are going to judge you for your prosperity. Now, it's a little bit more than that even, isn't it? Because people judge you for very specific things, I've found. I, we ran a drop-in center in, in, in Ireland and many people, many uh, uh, people suffering with addictions would come in and I was at a meeting one morning and I turned up late to the, to the drop-in and I walked in and I'd, I was well-dressed, I had a suit on because I'd been to a function or whatever. And as soon as I walked in, one of the people who had come in judged me, man, I can't remember whether it was a sarky comment or something like that. Look at you walking in here in your suit. Some sort of comment like that. I didn't say a thing. Not necessary. I just walked on. But I happened to notice, and never forgot it, that the person who made the comment about my suit was wearing a pair of Nike Air Max. Now, in those days, I used to get all my suits in Primark. very good value 45 pounds for the whole thing you know (laughs) and I'm sitting there in my suit and I'm busting to say actually my suit costs 45 quid your air max cost about 150 dear now this is very common guys very common you see you have gotta pause a moment what are you judging me for are you judging me for the amount of money I said no because you spent more on your feet than I did on an entire outfit okay So it's not actually... You see, people will spend money on what they want to spend money on, believe me. They will. And they won't judge themselves for it. They'll think that's... It's you that's the problem, right? So you've got to learn how to handle the judgment of the world and of the church. Because they're going to come at you thick and fast. Not just what you wear. they also judge you very, very quickly for what you drive. (laughs) Now, this is Pastor Tom's car here, the Merc. I'm only joking. Say, say a pastor turns up in a Mercedes sports. Somebody says, ah, yes, I want one. Listen to this. Say someone, say a pastor turns up, right, and he parks up outside the church in his Mercedes sports. Amen. Is he going to get judged? <laughs> you better believe he's going to get judged. Now, listen to me. Look, look very carefully. What's, what's being judged? Let's say the same power, pa- another church, and another pastor turns up in a Toyota us. Is he going to get judged? No. He's going to get judged if he turns up in a Merc. He's going to—he's not going to get judged if he turns up in a Toyota ventures. Now watch the next slide. Boom. Which one actually costs more? That's the true price, by the way. The Merc there costs twelve grand. Second-hand Merc. Second-hand uh, Duda as well here. Toyota, twenty grand. You see? So tell me, it's important. What are you judging me for? I need to know. They're actually... It's important, guys, because God wants excellence. And someone may like good mechanics, but the devil hates excellence. He hates anyone to advance. So be careful what you're judging. People do judge style and any form of excellence in any way. So we've got to get that out of our system and be prepared when it comes at you. There's no difference in the price. Could I just say something? If you buy a lesser quality car... Because of what people will say, you're a fool. You're wasting God's money. You're an absolute fool. Don't let people treat you like that. Don't let people judge you like that. That's madness. We want no part of it. So don't be judged. Learn how to handle judgment. Again, we worked in one of the worst parts of Dublin for many years. A rundown area, yet we lived in the best. We lived in one of the nicest places in the whole city. And that would also be judged. But if you sit down and talk, and I didn't do it, but I often felt like doing it so much. When people say, oh, where do you live? And we would say where we lived, we'd go, oh, right? And you can feel the judgment. You can hear the judgment coming from them, you see. Now, you've got to, again, learn how to handle that. You see, someone who judges me like that, you know what I could say to them? Okay, sit down. You live in a very bad area here. How much do you pay a month? In rent and the person could say 300 pounds. Okay, do you know how much I pay? 330. Actually, at the moment, I pay 330 pounds a month on my mortgage. So the person's living in the bad place. It's pe- You're paying the same as me, more or less. So tell me, what are you judging me for? Because when I was younger, I worked two jobs, I saved up a deposit and I put a mortgage down and over the years as my mortgage has changed I've moved the mortgage along I've been paying the same amount for years and I just you see the foolish judge the wise they come after you and actually it shouldn't be you judging me it should be me judging you you're the one who hasn't been smart you're the one who didn't look at your Bible you're the one who didn't make an investment so I do not accept your judgment right You've been foolish with your money. You've made no investment. You've just paid rent. And then you come after me. Well, I don't accept that. So as God starts to prosper us, we need to be prepared for the attack of the devil, both outside and inside the church. Because you, you'll start to deviate from God's will for you. You'll get confused like many people are. Key point number four. We must be prepared for prejudice. Prejudice is pre-justice that's the word it means many many people and they're normally the most vocal you know it's Joe Soap who's the most vocal who doesn't know nothing right? who comes after you there's a lot of prejudice there's pre-justice before people have ever understood the will of God they will jump to judgment rush to judgment on you so don't accept it is this important? this is hugely important the area of finances Is it the biggest problem the church has? No, (laughs) but it's probably number two. The biggest problem we face as churches, I think, is keeping people close to Jesus. When the devil comes after them with self-condemnation and that sort of thing, that's the biggest problem. But apart from that, I think the stress, the pressure, and everything else of finances, which is why Jesus puts it right up there in his comments. I love this statement by David Paulson. He said this, isn't it strange how Christians spend so much time praying about money when it's the one thing they don't need to pray about? <laughs> Isn't it funny how Christians spend so much time praying about money when it's the one thing they don't need to pray about? Now I know what he's getting at. He's going to seek ye first the kingdom of God, and everything else will be added unto you. What he's saying is that when it comes to finances, it's not so much what we pray, it's what we do. Right? We tithe, we give, etc., etc., and finances, prosperity is just a natural sidekick to that. 2 Corinthians then, these chapters, chapters 8 and 9, are all about finances. I'll read 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 7. Look at this. But just, some people will still say we don't need to know about finances, and Paul deals with that right here. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 7. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Illumide asked a very good question this week in his cell group. He was saying last week we talked about contentment and being content in all circumstances. How do we balance that contentment with an aggressive perspective to prosper? That's a good question. Paul's dealing with that right there. You are content. We are content, but we still need to prosper because the kingdom needs money, right? And God wants to use you and me as a source through which that will come. And to do that, I've got to get all religious thinking out of my mind. I've got to change my mind and understand what the scriptures say. I must prosper. There's too much to do, right? We need millions, amen? Amen. Millions, multiplied millions we need we need a large facility in this city right here, we need to get on with this work and that requires finance and it's going to come through the church, it's going to come through you. So get ready. But the truth is most people get to a certain point of prosperity and stop. Normally the point where their bills are paid, the point where their mortgage is paid and then they stop and that shows really a, a very bad motivation. Because we need to seek prosperity aggressively, proactively, for the kingdom. Amen. Prosperity with a purpose, you could call it. That there's meaning and there's reason behind, you know, how we sow, why we sow, the way we sow, because we've got the kingdom in our mind. So for today then, the first point is very simple. It is God's will to prosper you, but it may not be yours. You may disagree with God. Many people do. I did. You may come from a background that has taught you the opposite. So it may be God's will. But he might not be able to get that to you or through you because you are stuck against him. You're determined not to prosper. And that's just the truth. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know my will. I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and to give you a hope and an expected end. Right. So God knows exactly what he wants. It's we who struggle. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And look at verse 9. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. Everybody say rich. Rich. Who's going to be made rich? Rich. You are. It's right there in your Bible. Now, the hyper-spiritual camp, the religious type, oh, no, 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 it's not talking about money. It's talking about spiritual things, you know. No, it isn't. The entire chapter is completely about money. Never take a scripture out of its context. The whole chapter is about finance. That's what Paul is talking about. And he unashamedly, he's not afraid. You see, Pastor Elia was talking about them standing up on the street yesterday and proclaiming the gospel. And I say, Amen. Because you're not ashamed of that. But are you ashamed of wealth? Because if you are, it's it's, it's wrong, you see, friends. You're denying what Christ has done on the cross. See see what Paul said there? He became poor. Do you know on the cross, he wasn't poor in his life, by the way. He didn't live a poor life. He became poor on the cross. He became what? Sin. On the cross. He became sickness on the cross. He became poor on the cross. To take poverty from us, if only we could reach and believe in that. That is what His life and death were vicarious. Where we get the word vicar from. That what he did was in your place. He died so you could have life. He took sickness so you could have health. He became poverty to take poverty from you. To get richness to you. It's a swap. You give God your flesh. What does he do? He puts his spirit in you. You live out of your flesh. He'll take his spirit right off you. You live in the Spirit, you live in the Spirit, you agree with Him, and God will come and live in you. It's the same with all these things. He's taken and He offers. He's the God who gives and takes away. You see, many people will uh, say, oh, the rich, they're greedy. Rich people are greedy people. Not necessarily. (laughs) There's many poor people who are very greedy, actually. In fact, the richer people become, very often they learn, as Solomon tells us about the deceitfulness of riches. You begin to learn what money can and can't do. You begin to see it the same way he did, how meaningless it is to put your hope in riches in that way. Okay. So understand, prosperity is not going to make you any more godly, but neither is poverty. And many are also confused over that. People equate holiness with, uh, with, with a poverty lifestyle. Like in some way that's, you know, good. It isn't good. We've got work to do. Solomon established himself, himself. He got his own platform sorted out so he could get on with the work of the kingdom and so must we do. Yet, having said all that, some of you still won't prosper. Some people still won't prosper. And we can preach this for 10 years. Some people still won't prosper. And you need to ask yourself, why? What's the problem? Why do people get stuck let me show you a list of reasons, just briefly, why people still don't prosper. Because of the abuse of some. You look around the world, you see a televangelist or something driving his ten Rolls Royces, right? That's abusive. That's not the prosperity that God's talking about. That's absurd, and that's not what I'm talking about either, by the way. Because of the abuse of some, some people overreact, right? They they take a complete. You know when you're driving, you're learning how to drive. What do you do? You sense. That the car's going the wrong way, and what learner drivers tend to do is completely swing, overcompensate, and you'll end up in the ditch. There's ditches both sides here, right? There's those who are going to be abusive. They can't control your life. And that those that are, you know, have a religious mindset, a poverty mindset, and you can't go in either direction, the abuse of some guy somewhere is going to control your life, is it? You're crazy. You can't let that happen. You can't let other people's behaviour dictate how you live. The cults do a very good job of of messing the church up that way. Because of what people will say. I don't care what people say. Right? I don't care what people say. I care about people, but I don't care what you think about me or say about me. Right? It's not about, you know, that. You know, we've got to get over that. That will snag you up all through your life. Because of controversy. There's loads of controversy around finance. Jesus never shied away from controversy. Remember he said, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, that's controversial. And half the people did what? Well, most of the people walked away. Couldn't cope with the controversy. Well, I'm sorry, I need to prosper. I need to prosper radically. I need to prosper now. And I don't care about the controversy. We're going to go for it anyway. And other people, as they say, it's the least important. Well, what sort of attitude is that? That's a bad attitude. If you say money is the least important thing in your life, then you don't understand the kingdom. We need finances. The church needs to be pumped with finances so we can do our job. Amen. Yeah. How can you say it's the least important thing to you? It's very important. Very important. See to it, Paul says, that you also abound in this grace. See to, You see to it. You see that you're prospering. It's not the least important. They obviously had the same issues, see? Prospering until their own needs were met. And Paul corrects them and says, "Stop, that's a bad attitude. You need to prosper way beyond that. And the last one's a big one. People still don't prosper because they're so suspicious. <laughs> Some of you look very suspicious right now. <laughs> see, if I stand up here and I preach about faith, right? everybody is exactly the same you get a really good at. Oh good. Pastor Mike's talking about faith. He's trying to get faith to me. If I preach about healing, oh great, praise God. Pastor Mike's trying to get healing to us. If I preach about prosperity, ah, oh, he's trying to get his money off us. And there's this little there's this little subliminal thing that happens and something goes on in your brain. You gotta get, you gotta outwit that right? Don't let that happen because that's a bad perspective. That's just your flesh talking. Listen to the Bible, right? Listen to the Word of God and what God says and how we'll come to that in a moment, how we prosper. So first point this morning, very simple. It's God's will to prosper you. Sounds really simple, but it's hard to keep a hold of it because of the world in which we live. Secondly, this morning, God will only prosper us along biblical lines. And those biblical lines may not be familiar, particularly to you uh, viewers at home. I want to introduce to you the way we as a church function when it comes to giving. And please stay open-minded because I need to go all the way through this. And indeed, it's part of a whole series. Most of us will have heard about the tithe and tithing. But if you have ever wondered why prosperity has never been a reality in your life, I'm just about to give a probable answer. The Bible's got a lot more to say than just about tithing. There's also the free will offering. There's also the sacrificial offering. There's also the faith pledge that we see David make when there was a need in the kingdom. And all four of these points need to be foundation stones in our giving, in our attitudes and everything else. The tithe we have all heard of. The tithe preceded the law Often hear people say, oh, it's Old Covenant. It's got nothing to do with the Old Covenant. The the tithe was in the Garden of Eden. Right there at the beginning. In those days, it wasn't money. It was fruit. It was a tree. The tithe is that which you cannot touch. Well, they didn't have currency. So God put a tree in the garden and there it was. Eve, Adam, you can't touch that tree. That was the tithe in those days. And as time went by, it turned into finance. It was fruit but it was always there. And the tithe was a protection system built in by God to keep you close to Him. Simple as that. He doesn't need your money, by the way. This is for you. He's trying to get something to you, not from you. So God institutes the tithe, and the tithe is a safeguard to keep you well. It is a discipline to keep you close to God. And it's a strict discipline. We should do anything to pay our tithe. At all times, make sure that that tithe is in there. I've had people come knock my door because they miss church just to get the tithe out of their pocket. You know, I think that's a good attitude because it shows that they're convicted and they know that the tithe belongs in the house of God. We used to have a dog when I grew up. I can't say its name because its name's a dirty word now. So I'll call it Rover. Rover had a habit of running down the hall and running out onto the road. And Rover was my dog. Right? I had a big family. There's nine of us, you know, nine kids. And nobody loved Rover <laughs> more than me. And Rover used to run down that, and there's traffic outside. He didn't have a clue what he was doing, you know? So when the, 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 the thing would come by, the door would be open, I would get the dog, and I would start to spank that dog. <laughs> and all my brothers and sisters would say, Leave the dog alone! But you know, you know better. Only someone who doesn't care would say, leave the dog alone. Do you care about the dog at oh. all? The dog needs discipline. It needs parameters. And I'm going to give them. And I'll look after the dog. I lived, we had was, well, 10 years or something like that. And that dog was fine. As long as I was in the house, <laughs> that dog would not run down that hallway. Would get to the door and think, ah, oh, that's not mine." You see? But I left home. I left home, 17, I move away. It's about three months, phone call. The dog's dead. You see, the the restriction was removed. The discipline was removed. Boom. The tithe is a discipline. And you may not think it's pleasant, but it is essential for keeping you close to God. It's a gift from God. Don't, Don't mock it. Don't be afraid of it. Don't be suspicious about it. What is the tithe? The word tithe means 10%. So every believer needs to bring into the house of God 10% of their gross income. Simple as that. What's the free will offering? So there's the tithe, that's day one. By the way, when you tithe, it's not giving. It's not classed as given. That's a debt. Okay? So if you just tithe, you're not actually biblically a giver yet. You're, You're just paying a debt. You see? So... We need to add the other elements to become givers. Paul talks a lot about it. What are the other elements? A free will offering. After 10% of your money has been put in the tithe of the local church, which you attend, and if you're not in one, you need to go to one. You put 10%. After that, you have a certain amount of money left over. And from that amount of money, you begin to think, do I want to give something else somewhere else? That's called a free will offering. Something you decide. So you give something somewhere. After that, you may still feel, Do you know what, I've still got some money left over. I would like to give something, but I haven't got enough. And then it's called a sacrificial offering. And lastly, we move to the most essential place, which is faith, faith-giving, faith pledges. And you may have heard of these, but these are the best thing that you can ever have in your life because it's spiritual exercise. It's spiritual muscle-building. It builds your faith financially with God. Let me show you an example. Wrong way, is it? Let me show you an example of a typical person. This is just made up, but it just gives you an idea of the type of percentages. Let's say someone has an income of £1,000 a month. And after tax, say 150 quid for tax, therefore they pay a tithe of 10% of that. So that's £100. So £100 a month goes on the tithe. Let's say they want to make a free will offering of £25. And they still want to make a free will, uh, a sacrificial offering of 25 pounds again. But then in terms of faith, they think, well, how much could I believe God to supernaturally supply through me? I'll make a faith pledge of 100 pounds a month. Twice a year in this church, we take up a missions faith pledge. We're going to do it in a few weeks' time. So I want you to see where it fits in. Say you've got rent of 200. Say you've got bills of 170. Even, see how fair God is? even after you have paid all of the things that are due, you would still be left with about 230. Right? After all bills are paid. Once you start to do what is right, you watch that number go up. You watch that number rise. That's where God starts to bless. And very often, you can't explain it. You can't explain it. What you need to do, and you at home, I had an email yesterday from someone saying, I'm going to send you my tithe. And I email straight back, you send me a tithe and I'll send it back to you. (laughs) I do not accept tithes. Tithes belong to the local church. Go to your local church. If you're not in a church, why not? Don't send me your tithe. Go to it and join a church, be part of a church. The tithe belongs in the local storehouse. Otherwise, there's no good for the kingdom. But we need, and I'm asking both you at home and every single person here today, to become a partner with Preparing the Way our television program. I want you to think about a free will offering of 25 pounds a month or for you it may be a sacrificial offering. It's vital that you understand what we're doing as a church and how we're doing it. God has raised us up here and this is a very, very sweet little place, isn't it? There's a good spirit here. There's a task at hand. Come and be part of that. There's no reason why every person here I've given you the form on the back of your notes this morning. Sign up And join up with us and be a partner at Preparing the Way. You can fill out a direct debit form or whatever. you Use uh, those at home. You can go to our website and sign up there. Pay your tithes, folks. Pay them in the local church. But after that, once that's gone, not before, not before, once your tithe is gone, then you need to get involved in giving. And very often the thing that God wants you to give to is right under your nose. Okay? People often miss it, and you, you, you're you only impoverished for that. So I make no apology. This is a good cause, a very good cause. We're getting the truth of the Word of God out to New Zealand and Australia and all of Africa and all of Europe and all of UK and Ireland. And that is a mighty blessing. Amen. And that is a good thing to be part of. So please fill out that form. Join join with us. That's your free will, your sacrificial. And then in a few weeks' time, we we'll, we'll talk about faith pledges tonight we're going to look at business and the buzzword in in the business world for the last decade has been diverse income streams you know that there've been a lot of seminars and teaching on that how we as believers should build up diverse avenues of income into our lives well let me tell you something folks <laughs> there ain't going to be no diverse avenues of income until there's diverse avenues of giving right you need to be giving out in many different ways and different forms. And then God will start pouring back in and fulfill his promise to you. Remember what? The devil will come at you in one way and flee in seven. Amen. You, he'll come to attack your finances, but because you have sold in different places, he won't know what to do. You'll have a multitude of income streams, but it begins with your giving. Diversifying your giving, right? So every person here, don't be fooled. Get onto that track with God, pay your tithe locally, start to give then, get involved in something that you know is fruitful, that you know is godly, because that's important and profitable, and then after that, in a few weeks' time, we'll talk extensively about the faith pledge. So point number one today, it's God's will to prosper you. Can everybody agree with that? Amen. Amen. Point number two, it's only going to happen along biblical lines. Do the lost prosper? Absolutely. Absolutely. Do they prosper through all kinds of, you know, wrong ways? Absolutely. But remember what Solomon says. It has no end. Don't, you know, fret because the wicked prosper. It all amounts to nothing in the end. Don't be fooled by that. There's good prosperity and bad prosperity. And what we're talking about here is only good prosperity along biblical lines. So, number one, it's God's will to prosper you. Number two, it has to be upon biblical lines. And number three... All of our giving should be in faith. This is a Pentecostal church. And we're very good, traditionally, at criticizing religious types of people. We criticize religion virtually anywhere we see it. We say, oh, you know, that worship is religious. or This prayer, that type of prayer is religious. But you know, one of the most religious things about us is our giving. (laughs) Now, in one one way, uh, giving is good to be religious because it's a discipline. But you know what I mean? We don't have any faith in it. It's just an action that you do each week. That's not it. God doesn't want that. Your giving should be living. Your giving should be alive. And as you put that finance in every week, it's part of your life, part of your, uh, your relationship with God. Don't let the bag pass by and just dump it in like it's nothing. It isn't. God wants to connect with you on this. This is a, Tomorrow morning, most of you are going to be at work to earn money. Right, You go to college to get a degree, to earn money. It saturates life. It takes up a massive portion of your life. So please, take it, take it very, very seriously. All you're given needs to be in faith. And that's where the faith pledge comes in. You can give your tithe for the rest of your life. Yes, you'll prosper to a degree. But nowhere near the faith element. I think we can easily afford 10%, actually. Nowhere near the faith element, that has to be a deliberate action. I love John Bevere's example. He was doing some weight training in New York one day. He went in and he happened to notice a, a very well known weightlifter, a champion weightlifter, come in and, and he watched him. He said, well, I'll watch how he trains out. And the champion guy had his trainer with him. And he was, he was watching and the champion goes and he lifts weights, he lifts weights. But the trainer goes and reads a newspaper. Now Bevere knows that trainer's getting paid a fortune. What's this about, you know? And the trainer waited until the champion was utterly exhausted. Until he could not lift a thing. And then the trainer puts his paper down, goes and sits and says, right, one. (laughs) And Bevere, inquisitive, you know, goes over and says, excuse me, I just have to ask. You're the trainer here, obviously. Why did you wait until he was nearly dead? And the trainer said, well, that's the nature of muscle growth, you see. He has to do what he hasn't done before. Or he'll never grow. If it's just a question of tithe every week, it's breaking down those muscles. It's doing what you can't do, actually. Which is what Paul said to the Macedonian church. If we're going to prosper, if you are going to prosper properly, well as God wants, it's going to involve faith. Faith is your part. It's the action that you put in. That makes the difference in the dynamics from God. Right? And this is right through script. Remember the man with the withered hand? What does Jesus say to him? His hand doesn't work. So Jesus tells him to do something. Stretch forth your hand. He can't. He can't stretch forth. That's the point. The man had something to do. Remember the cripple on the mat. How do miracles come? Well, how do financial miracles come? Exactly the same way as this. The cripple's on the mat and Jesus says, Get up! And I can guarantee you, everybody says, he can't get up. He's a cripple, stupid. Right? And Jesus saying, get away. You don't know the principles. Get up. And as soon as the man does what he can't do, the miracle takes place. God was after faith. Faith. Not giving what you can give, but giving what you know you can't give naturally. It's the faith dynamic. And that's where the faith pledge comes in. Right? our giving can be religious. And right through scripture, it involved an action on the person's part and often it involved a substance. You need to give God something to bless. see? Remember the little boy's lunch? They say, God, you've got to feed all these people. Straight away, Jesus looks for what he's got. Bring the bread to me. He looks for something to bless. And we've all got to you know, see that. There's an action on your part and there's substance coming from you like the widow's oil. Oh, it's all over. We're just going to make a loaf of bread and die. No, the oil, widow, you've got to bring up and give of your substance so that the prophet can bless it. Amen. There's an action on your part. There's something that you need to do. You see, we're all very good at quoting the line from Hebrews. Faith without works is dead, right? You've heard that probably a thousand times. But you know what? Works without faith is dead. Faith without works is dead, absolutely. But works without faith is equally dead. And that tithe bag, that offering bag can come past you every Sunday. And if all you're doing is, God will bless you to a degree. But it's not just a dead work. Hebrews also tells us, repent of dead works. Religious actions that have no life in them, right? God wants a relationship with you. I had one woman come in. She was furious about her tithe. She got her handbag as She got her handbag and she smashed it against the wall, you know? One handbag gone, praise the Lord, amen. She gave in and she was saying. I hate handbags, by the way, sorry, it's okay. Who sent me that email this week about handbags? Was that she sent it? Was that you? No? Okay, never mind. Let's not go there. What was I saying? Oh yeah. <laughs> This woman comes in and she's got a hammock and she smashes it against the wall. And she's furious and she says to me, I've been tithing for years. And look at us. Look at us. We've got nowhere to live. We've got no food for the baby. We've got nothing. And you, this church, and you talk about tithing. It doesn't work. I had to wait until she cools down, cool down. (laughs) You know, I sit down. And this was a lady that we had helped many times. I felt sorry for her because she's a very stressed out person. And again, we went to help her that time too. Just wait till you calm down. You're going to sit down? Okay, let me tell you something. Your attitude stinks. Who on earth do you think you're talking to? That you come in here and talk to God? Because that's what you're saying. You watch your mouth. What do you mean it doesn't work? You've obviously got no faith whatsoever in what you're doing. Listen to your speech. You're cursing your own pocket. You're cursing what you're doing with negative words. And then you expect God to see and bless. You're not able. You're not ready. You can't speak like that, think like that, hold a a stinking thinking like that, a bad attitude like that, and expect to prosper. God is a good God. And if he was to put money in your hands with this type of attitude, man, he's not going to do that. You You need to repent. Right? Well, she didn't. Instead, she left the church. I don't think we ever got her back, you know. I felt sorry for her. She was unable to come out of that bad attitude. This is God we're talking about. And you don't know him. You don't really know him properly or you wouldn't speak like that. You wouldn't speak like that about God or treat him like some slot machine. Lose that attitude, kid. That's very bad. God wants a financial relationship with you. Just like every other area of your life. That's why you can list all the names of God. Because there's all the different aspects of God that at different times in your life you need. He's Jehovah Rapha. And sometimes you need to know him that way when you're sick. He's the God who heals. So you can have a relationship with God for healing. He's Jehovah Shamma, So why is that name there? Because you need counselling. He's the mighty counselor and sometimes you will need to go to him in that way. He's Jehovah-Ra and you need to know him that way. The Lord, my shepherd, the good shepherd, so that when you're lost and confused about life, you can go to that aspect, if you like, of God's personality or character, right? He's Jehovah-Jireh. He's the God who will provide and he wants a financial relationship with you so that you can sit down and I love to do this. We run our finances. We've done it since we got married. We run our finances as if we're ready to be raptured tomorrow. So it's always in a state. We look at what we've got. This is what we've got. And there's nothing that I think we could otherwise do. There's this. There's that. Right, Lord? Is there anything you want to change? Right? That's a good way to be where you're at peace in your heart, yet still maintaining an aggressive perspective for the sake of the kingdom. It is God's will to prosper you. He's only going to do it along biblical lines. He's looking for faith, the faith element. To get to that faith, you need to tithe. You need to give an offering. You need to make a sacrifice. right? You need to come through the biblical route. And then we start talking about faith. Once those issues are out of your bank account, you enter into a completely different dynamic. And that's where God wants us to be. Just like he wants worship in spirit and in truth, he wants prayer to be in faith. Also, he wants our given to be in faith. And to, to do that, finally, we've got to lose the quick-fix mentality of the world, the lotto-type mindset. There's no place for this in the kingdom. Remember, Andrew Womack does a fantastic teaching on, on miracles and blessings and the difference between the two. God is not. Miracles are fine, but we shouldn't be needing them all the time. We should be so blessed that we don't need a miracle. You with me? So I should be so healthy, I should be blessed with health to the point where I don't need to ask you for a miracle. Amen? And so it is with finances. Now, if someone in the church comes to me and says, look, and I know they're a tither, they're a giver, they're a faith pledger, and they run into a financial crisis... And they come and they say, you know, we need help financially. But then, yeah, no problem. Absolutely no problem. Here, we will help you. Because we know it's not a miracle mentality that you've got. You're a giver. You're a pledger. You move in faith. So I know this is not an obstacle to you. But someone with a handout mentality who comes to the church and says, Can you? I said, no, I won't. Oh, I thought this was a church. Oh, it is a church. It is a church, believe me. <laughs> And right there in that Bible, I'm not going to bless your miracle mentality, your handout mentality, right? You, for all sorts of obvious reasons. So it's the same. You don't want to be looking for miracles all your life. That's not what God wants because that's a stressful life. That involves crisis intervention. And you don't want to, Jesus actually had all sorts of warnings about people who seek miracles, remember? You want to live in the favor of God, not crisis intervention. Miracles are Periodic. And when Jesus would work a miracle, remember? He would say, be careful now, because this miracle's on you. You've got it, but you might lose it. Remember? He would say that again. He would warn the people that this might be periodic. You might not have the faith to do this because I, I did this for you. I worked this miracle, and you might not be able to keep it. Whereas blessing is lifelong. It Proverbs, the blessing of the Lord makes a man rich and adds no trouble to it. Adds no trouble to it. Miracles are unnatural. They have to, to, to over... I it's the wrong way around in your notes. Miracles are unnatural. God has to intervene and overturn His natural laws of seed time and harvest, whereas blessing, it may take time. It does take time, seed time and harvest, but it works with the God, with, with laws that God has instituted. And lastly, miracles. You see, what does it say again in Proverbs, isn't it? An inheritance gained quickly will come to zero. Nothing. And God doesn't want that quick fix, get rich mentality. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about living under the principles of God and prospering in the blessing of God. I know miracles are needed. We need a miracle for a building because this city is way behind the times and we want a miracle to move forward. I make no apology for asking God, forgive the ancestry. The hundreds of years here in Glasgow, but let's see a miracle to establish. I want a miracle, not a mortgage. That's what... My prayer is for the facility here in the city. So tonight we will continue. Tonight we're going to look at Christians and business. How to start a Christian business. And I hope I know, in fact, many of you are already started and there's lots of new businesses springing up all over the place. Tonight we're going to talk about how to do that and the advice that Solomon gives for it. Amen.